Hi, Downham Market. It's great to be with you again. Special greetings to Aaron and Nick and Nam and Alex and all the team and all the people there. I really do sincerely hope that the message that I shared with you last time was helpful. Uh, my aim in life is just to be helpful, to uh, bring whatever God has deposited into my life and bring it to others and hopefully see God's kingdom come into their uh, circumstances and their context as well. So uh, with that in mind, this, this message I would like to share with you is about rethinking church and rethinking community. I, I really hope that it's helpful. Um, right across the world, the world has been disrupted. And when there's massive dip, disruption and upheaval, there is generally a shifting and also a sifting that takes place uh, with God's people and with His church. And then there is this place of ambiguity, this in-between space, this liminality, where we try to work out, well, what's next then, God? You know, And then hopefully we listen to Him in that season, and we emerge from that season having rethought some stuff, unlearned some things, and learned some new things, uh, higher things, better things, uh, godly things that will shape our future. Uh, and hopefully in that process we reset our lives and realign our lives to the purposes of God. So with that in mind, I want to talk to you a bit about church and about community. Is that okay? Um, first of all, let me tell you a story, a humorous story. Uh, three men were hiking through a forest and they encountered a raging river. Three Christian men. And the, the first man, they look at they realize there's no way across. The first man, he prays to God. God, please give me the strength to cross over to the river, to cross over the river to the other side. And poof, wow, suddenly he was transformed. He was like big six-pack, big chest, big arms. Uh, he was strong. And so he jumped into the water and God gave him the strength to the, get to the other side. He took, you know, ages to get there, like an hour and a half of struggling against the water and grabbing onto logs and almost drowning a couple of times and his mates are watching him and sort of sort of, sort of making his way across the river he made his sort of way down and across the river you understand but he got across and the second man looking at that said I ain't doing that he says God uh, God give me the strength and give me the tools that I need to get across the river poof there it is oh oh this guy's also transformed. Huge chest, six pack, big arms, big, and also a rowboat. He jumps into the rowboat, uses his strong arms, and he's, you know, makes his way across the river. He capsizes once, but he literally, this huge river gets across, takes him about 30 minutes, but he finally gets across to the other side. The third guy is looking and he's going, hey, I ain't doing that. There's got to be a better way. God, I pray, give me the strength, give me the tools. And give me the intelligence that I need in order to get across this river. Poof! He's transformed into a woman. And she looks down. She reads the map. She hikes 100 yards up the river and walks over the big bridge to the other side. Now, I can't hear you. But hopefully some of you might be laughing at my little joke.
Um, sure, some of the ladies are, and some of the men are going, oh, 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 whatever, you know. Anyway, here's my point. I like this story because the truth is, whether you're male or female, young or old, educated or not educated, whether you are rich or poor, strong or weak, we all have our own perspective on life and the challenges that we face. And when we face those challenges, we all relate to God in different ways. This is a challenge for all of us. Because right now we're all facing a similar challenge. Uh, it's called a, a pandemic or a, a virus, a global disease. Um, beyond the magnitudes of the Spanish flu more disruptive it seems or could be more disruptive than even a world war and that's saying something big right there i know but it's disruptive but we all respond to that same crisis in different ways and i believe the way that we respond to crisis is the way we relate to god you see crisis causes our theology to come to the surface and right now, this global crisis is causing all Christians, especially leaders like me and the leaders of Down and Market, to rethink the future of the church. You see, challenges, obstacles and troubles are the things that God uses to bring us closer to Him. Like I said in the Liminality message, He uses islands and remote places and caves and wildernesses and difficult times in order to get our attention. Unfortunately, too many Christians don't embrace this truth. You see, for many Christians, their experiences shape their theology. Now, I know that we experience and we learn as we go. But some people have negative experiences, positive experiences, and it shapes the way they view God. Instead of allowing God's Word to shape the way they see God and the world. You see, God's Word, or good theology, is designed to shape, influence, realign, explain, and define our circumstances and our experiences. You see, when our friend dies, for reasons we don't understand, then it alters our theology of healing. When we lose our job or become redundant, which has happened a lot for a lot of people, it can change our theology of God's provision. When our marriage ends in divorce, we can rethink our theology of covenant. When our prayers are not answered, we can rethink our theology of God's will or the providence of God. When we're under financial stress, we can rethink biblical prosperity and tithes, offerings, generosity. When we feel like we're overlooked or forgotten, we can alter our theology regarding community and family. When we have a, 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 a when we see evil people prosper, we re-examine our theology of God's justice. And when we see innocent people suffer, we wonder where God's compassion is, etc., etc. When we see people embracing different sexual orientation or gender issues that we see in the world today, it, it affects our theology of gender and how we view God, who has made us both male and female. Um, when we see a convincing documentary, 
that is really trying to echo and reinforce the evolution narrative that can easily, easily cause us to re-examine our theology of creation. You see, we can allow our experiences to shape our theology rather than vice versa, allowing our theology to shape our experiences. You see, convictions are very powerful. Would you agree with me? Convictions. Your personal convictions shape a lot of your decisions. I realize that two-thirds of the word conviction is the word convict. In other words, my convictions keep me enslaved to something. They, 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 they tie me down. They, they cause me to be restrained by them. It's important that we have biblical, theological convictions. If my convictions are not based on truth, then what are they based on? Now, is it possible that some Christians have like a Christian, Hindu, Hawking, Baha'i, Darwin, Darwinian, creationism, Harry Potter-esque sort of faith? <laughs> I believe it's possible. I've met a lot of people like that in church life over the years, especially that belief is revealed when they go through difficult times. And there's nothing like a pandemic to cause all of us to be thrown into the same boat at the same time to be confronted with the same issues, the same set of issues. What will we do in the midst of all of that? I believe we begin to rethink some things. And I believe that one of those things we begin to rethink is who we're connected to, our community, and our church. A lot of people have fallen away from church in this season. A lot of people have disconnected themselves from the community that they were connected to before this season. So it's important that we rethink this idea. I really do. You see, at our fingertips these days, I mean, we have so much technology and media. We, Whether it's the remote, the radio, the keyboard, the phone, Google, we have information. We have access to information and theories and facts and opinions and philosophies and every other vision and every other church's material, every other worldly concept, all at our fingertips. Like this, just boom, 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 a few touches and we are embracing or listening to or exposed to those ideals. Again, so many Christians view God's Word through the lens of their experience. When you look at the Bible, let me ask you a question. When you look at the Bible, how do you read it when you read the Bible? How do you read it? For some people, it's a romance novel. It's like a love story. That's, that, that, that's all they ever see when they read it. They see a love story. For some people, it's a historical book. All they can see is the history, the creation of the world and the, 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 the ages and the patriarchs and the, the nations forming and the wars and the rumors of wars and nations being established and nations collapsing and cities, cities being taken over. And they, all they see is history. For some people, it's a road map. They read it like, they read it, they read it like it's a road map. They're forever looking for, for direction. That's why they read the Bible. For some people, it's a war novel. Life's a war. God's going to give me the victory. And I'm facing challenges. And I've got to look for God to give me a solution to the war that I'm facing. Because you know, he's the king and he wins the war and his kingdom is coming. And they see that they read the Bible like a war novel. Some people, they see it as a reference guide. They hit an issue and they just, you know, they just begin to search for that word or for that key word or that key promise. It's like a book of promises to them. 
That's how they read it. For some people, it's like a daily pick-me-up. They're going to read it every morning, or at least sometime in the day, or maybe before they go to bed, because they believe if I read it, I'll have a good night's sleep. If I read it in the morning, I'll have a great day. And, and they, they view it like that. Some people just see it as an inspirational book full of great quotes. You know, We all view God's Word a certain way, but listen to me today, right? It's not until you read God's Word as the infallible, authoritative Word of God, totally truth, from cover to cover, that you will be transformed. Not until then will you ever be transformed. It's not any of those things, though it could be all of those things all at the same time for you in your context. But it is more than that. The same way that Jesus wasn't just a good person, or just another prophet, or just the Son of God. He is God incarnate. He is both human and divine. You see, he is, like his father, omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. You see. You see, Jesus said this about the Bible, about the, well, not the Bible, about the, about the words that he spoke and the words that we read, okay? John 6, verse 63, he said, Jesus said, These words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. In John 17, 17, he said, Your word is truth, God. In Psalm 33, verse 4, it says this, The word of the Lord is right. And all his work is done in truth. That was Psalm 33, verse 4. Wow! In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that all Scripture has been push, God-breathed, and is grateful, rebuke, and correction, and instruction, and all those words that are used there, depending on what version of the Bible that you use. So, what I'm saying is this. God's Word reveals to us what the church should be. God's Word reveals to us, forget all the churches and great churches we see in the world, the, the pattern is in God's Word. His Word, His pattern for community, for covenant community, and for His church is found therein. And it would be good not just for leaders, but for everyone to read God's Word through, uh, to think about the church through the lens of God's Word. So let's do that just for a little while, in, in the time that we've got remaining together, okay? You know, 15, 20 minutes more to go, is that right? Okay. Um, there's, there's 12 verses I want to highlight to you very quickly. Just jot them down quickly, okay? If you're taking notes, just, or if you don't, grab a notebook right now. I'll just pause for a moment. Great, you got your paper? <laughs> okay, no problems. You got your piece of paper? Here we go, right? We see a pattern in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. About 3,000 souls are added. Acts 2, verse 47. The Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. In Acts 4, verse 4, about 5,000 men were saved, probably plus their households, their oikos. So a lot of people. In Acts 5, verse 14, it says, in, people were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes, it says, of both men and women. Right? Acts 6, verse 1, the number of disciples was multiplying. Acts 6, verse 7, the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Acts 9, verse 31, the churches through all of Judea, Galilee and Samaria were multiplied. Acts 11, verse 21, a great number believed 
and turn to the Lord. Notice that after Acts 3 and 4, numbers are no longer used, just multitudes and other words like that, right? In Acts 11 verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. In Acts 16 verse 5, the churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in number daily. In Acts 19 verse 10, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And then in Acts 21:20, 20, it says myriads of Jews believed. And that word myriads is an interesting word which we won't go into now. So what does all this describe? That the church of God is a movement. That's what it is. It's a movement. It's not a hospital. It's not just an army. It's not a rescue shop. It's not just a charity. It's not just a family. It's not just a community of people gathering together on Sunday. It's not just a place of hope or healing. It's not just the building. It's not just the, uh, the, the whatever we might think is the body of Christ. It actually is also, and quite in particular, a movement. It is, it is, it is a, a, a message and it is an embodiment of who Christ is himself flooding the earth, flooding into every sphere, every domain of society. That's why Jesus said that he, that he declared his kingdom would come. Not just his, not his church, his kingdom would come. He didn't preach a gospel of salvation. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He wanted his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth. When denominations who are not really behaving like a movement call themselves a movement, it's because intrinsically inside of every leader, really inside of every believer, every follower of Christ, there is this DNA that it belongs and you and I belong to a movement. You see, when I committed my life to Christ, I didn't join the church. I gave my life to Christ. And I realized that I wasn't just part of a denomination or a group of people. I was now part of a worldwide movement that at the, at the pinnacle, at the axiom, at, sorry, at the culmination, the climax of history, Christ's movement all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. I had this seed planted into me that I was part of a movement, and ever since then, I've always wanted to be a part of a church that's part of a movement, that behaves like it's part of a movement. I haven't always experienced that. You see, I've preached in a lot of places. I've preached in, in the back of Hertfordshire, just to seven people. I preached some years ago in the bottom of Brighton and spoke to just a handful of people in a room at a church there. I've spoken to 70 people in Shivy, Zimbabwe under a tree. I've spoken to 120 leaders in a farmhouse in Guoyang in Anhui, China. I've spoken to a deaf church in the middle, in the very heart of Tallinn, Estonia. I've spoken to an evangelical church of 200 people in the Czech, Czech Republic. I've spoken to just 35 young people in training in Macau. I've, I've spoken in dynamic Pentecostal uh, churches of 500 and over 1,000 people in Cape Town and Johannesburg. I've spoken to very, very large churches in Kumasi in Ghana. 
I've spoken to a Presbyterian congregation of over 1,500 people in Cairo, Egypt. I've spoken to a very creative church in Melma, in Sweden. I've spoken to home groups of young adults, not yet Christians, overlooking a beautiful harbour in Norway. I've spoken to a packed room uh, on a sweltering day in a full suit and tie in the back of the Solomon Islands. I've spoken to a full basketball uh, hall in the Philippines in a packed stadium in Maidan, Indonesia. Oh, I could go on. I'm not boasting. All I'm saying is to make this point. All of those people, regardless of where they were, they all carried one thing in common. They all wanted to be a part of a movement. And in some ways, we're convinced they were. In other ways, they haven't yet had that revelation. Down on market, you are not alone. You are a part of a global movement. I want you to embrace that as truth for yourself. Not to think of yourself as a small, insignificant group of people that will have no influence in, in, in Norfolk and Suffolk or across England. But believe that you're a part of a movement and God wants you to behave and think and believe like you're part of a movement. See, what I realize is that this pandemic can crush our confidence and cause us to look inward and be so inferior and just go into survival mode. Have you felt that? I have. Maybe I'm the only one, uh, I was going to say in this room, I am the only one in this room, <laughs> but maybe I'm the only one on this, on this call or in your room uh, where you are, I don't know. Let me read a uh, verse to you. I want to talk to you a little bit about community. Is that okay? Um, uh, I do believe there's a revival of the ecclesia, by the way. The ecclesia. The, the, the power of two or three gathering together. When Jesus... Do a study on this for yourself. In Matthew 16, when he said, I will build my church. You see, the translators didn't use the Greek word church, which is uh, kurikos or kurios. That's the Greek word for church. So we get the word kirk from, which became the word church, you see. But that's not the word he used. He used the word ecclesia. He borrowed a term that was already used in society, selah. Think on this for yourself and have a look at the power of how the, room, the Romans used the ecclesia to extend their kingdom. You see, there, there is a revelation of the power of two or three gathering together. And I just feel like I need to pause for a moment. Find those two or three friends in your neighborhood. Find those two or three friends in your workplace and begin to gather together. Because where you are, He is there in the midst of you. Can you say Amen? There it is. Amen. In Numbers 10, it says this uh, in verses... Uh, 1 and 2. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for the calling of the assembly and for directing the movement of the camps. Oh, we don't have time to read the other verses. But in, in, in this verse, in verse 2, two important Hebrew words appear. One is Ador, spelt E-D-A-H. And the other one is Makana, or Makana. My Hebrew is not good, right? Spelt M-A-C-H-A-N-A. 
E-H. One means assembly or congregation and the other one means camp or camps. Let me speak to you first of all uh, about Makana because these two words teach us a lot about community and congregation. You see, our roots, don't forget, are Judeo-Christian. Our roots are Jewish. Our roots are not Greco-Roman. So much of what we teach today in church is Greco-Roman rather than Judeo-Christian. Rabbi Soloveitchek teaches on this passage. He talks about uh, these, this, these two words. He says, a, a group or a community or a society or a nation is formed around a few ideas. Number one, when they face a common enemy, they band together for protection. It's about their survival and it's about their defense. It's a reaction to what is happening to them from the outside. It's a response to what happened to them in the past and it's a desire for those things to never happen again. Did you catch that? That is McKenna. When we camp together, when we band together, it is more a reactive posture than a proactive posture. We are gathering because we have a common enemy. This is true of the Jewish people in their history. And that is the reason why Aliyah is so powerful, because they are coming back to the homeland as part of the promises of God. It is a miracle that the Jewish people have retained their language and their culture despite their diaspora across the entire world. However, it's the same reason why Syrian asylum seekers have come together, why the Kurds in Iran have come together, why the Karen people in Myanmar, the Uyghur people in Western China, why the Tibetan Buddhists are seeking their asylum or their, their homeland to be restored, or why the Catalans in Spain. The list goes on. Why these groups have come together is because, generally speaking, they have a common enemy. They have someone who is against them. They're identified by that. It's the same for the church. In Acts 2, they, were, they gathered together because their Savior has been crucified and they're facing persecution. Yes, also because he commanded them to gather together for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. But then in Acts chapter 8, they are scattered. Because Jesus never wanted them to gather and stay gathered in Jerusalem. His message was to be spread throughout the entire earth. And so he allows persecution to come upon them. And then they are scattered again. Throughout the 1900s, we see the Wesleyan and Anglican believers and others were filled with the, with the Holy Spirit in that in that that amazing wave of God's moving throughout the earth, which gave birth to the Pentecostal movement as we know it today. But they were persecuted. Did you know that? As they spoke in tongues, the glossolalia, they were seen as being weirdos, as being nerds, as being demonic, you see. And, and they banded together. And, and in essence, the roots of the Pentecostal church were like that. And of course, God's Spirit was poured out upon the poor and upon women, upon the uneducated. And of course, that was not really allowed, was it, in those days? And so they all had a common enemy. Listen to it again. McKenna is community, but it is a reactive posture to the world. I can remember going to uh, Anfield 
some years ago. I'm a Liverpool fan. Don't hold that against me. I hope you still love me. Uh, I'm not a Norwich fan. Um, I'm a Liverpool fan, have been for many, many years. Some years ago, I went with a friend, and before the game, he went into this pub uh, just to have a refreshment before we went into the game because we knew that we'd be sort of bolted down to our seats. And it was an amazing thing. We were playing Manchester City that, uh, sorry, yeah, Manchester City that night um, in a midweek game for one of the sh uh, for one of the other cups. And uh, I noticed when I walked in that there was red shirts everywhere and sky blue shirts everywhere. Manchester City supporters and Liverpool supporters. And I said to my friend, is there going to be a riot in here? Because I want to get out of here if there's going to be a fight. Anyway, as it was, people had a few drinks and you know things started to get a little bit lively. And there were people dancing on the tables and singing. I Honestly, I could not understand the accent. Uh, my ears were virgin. <laughs> I was from Australia. I did not. I could not fully yet grasp the the Scouser accent. And they were singing these songs, and I was trying to listen to the words. And I said to my friend, "What are they singing about?" He says, "Oh, we're singing about our common enemy, Manchester United." <laughs> oh, amazing! And I was thinking about that story. You know, sometimes we as the church are viewed as the enemy. And sometimes we gather together because we have a common enemy. Listen, friends, and we treat that common enemy as being the world. Friends, if we see the world as our enemy, how will we ever win it? Did you catch that? I hope you said amen right there. You see, our common, we all know who our common enemy is, right? He's, he's the devil, he's Satan, who comes to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. Okay, so McKenna, we're going to run out of time. I'm looking at the clock here. We're coming toward the half hour mark, and I didn't want to go uh, too far past that. So maybe we will, I don't know. Hang in there with me. You're okay if we go a few more minutes? The other one is Ador. E D A H. You might say Eda, right? And this word is translated nine times as assembly, and 124 times as congregation, and 13 times as the word company. It's the other interesting word used in verse 2 of Numbers 10. Again, Rabbi Slovacic. Slo uh, again, I don't think my Polish is that good. He said this, People in this instance, they come together because they share a vision, an aspiration, and a set of ideals. Therefore, their coming together has a proactive posture. It's not reactive. It's proactive. You see, uh, this it's not defensive, it's creative. People join together to do what no one can do alone. Oh, that sounds like the community I want to belong to. A true congregation is built around a shared project, a vision of common good. Down a market, we cannot afford to be reactive. We have to be proactive. We need to have our hearts knit together because not of a common enemy, but because of a common cause. You see, this is communitas, not community, communitas. You see, it's more than community. You see, the, 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 the communities that large, that sorry, that the communities that last and become movement are communitas. Or explore that word for yourself. It means they have a shared ordeal. They have a problem they want to solve together. 
And they lay aside their differences and there is unity in their diversity as they bring their gifts, their callings, their experiences, their resources together because they realize they have a shared ordeal. They have a world to reach. They have a community change. They have a town to reach together. Amen, down on market. You have a town. Yes, even a county to reach together. So, Rabbi Slavodicic, I probably said it wrong again, right? He said this, These two ways of gathering are two different ways of existing and two different ways of relating to the world. Wow! Two different ways of relating to the world. One will cause you to survive and one will cause you to thrive. Wow. All around the world, Christianity... Well, no, no, let me just rephrase that. In our nation, and I know in your nation, Christianity is in decline. And the religion of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S's, is increasing. In my nation, Australia, Christian, Christianity is experiencing its lowest popularity, its lowest attendance, and its lowest in interest. We are being challenged on every side. You see, movement is characterized by discontent, but then it is shaped by vision and action. Discontent is always in the heart of movement. Friends, we can never be satisfied. There must be some discontent in our heart about the way things are, the way things were, so that we embrace the new thing, kahinos, the new thing that God wants to do. Um, in Mark 3, verses 13 and 15, let me start to wrap this message up. Is that okay? In Mark 3, verses 13 to 15, let's just go there very quickly in our Bibles. Mark 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mark 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him, that he might appoint the twelve, that he might that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Verse fifteen, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Please notice that community must be built around Jesus as Lord. The first thing he does when he calls us together is he calls us to himself. He doesn't call us to do stuff together he calls us to himself down on market let me encourage you covid has is creating new space and new time and a new season for you to go deeper with god to connect deeper with him as a community of believers that's where it starts and from the overflow of that he will put into all of your hearts a common cause a common ordeal to be involved in, a common problem to solve, a common cause to lay your lives down for. But it all starts with being, not doing. It says he called them that they might be, say be, they might be, say it again, be, they might be with him and that he might send them out to do something. Amen. We can't go until we've been with him. Let me conclude.
Hagberg and Gulich wrote a book called The Critical Journey. And in that book they say this, Biblical community is the unity in diversity of people who embrace their own and each other's uniqueness and become God's arms, feet and hands on the earth. Wow, I love that thought. Let me conclude with this illustration. The redwood trees of California can grow up to 350 feet high and some of them to this day are two and a half thousand years old, two thousand five hundred years old. When if there was a building, and there are skyscrapers that would be that tall, they would have to build foundations down a long, long, long way. There's a big building being built in the heart of our city at the moment, and I can see the foundations are going down a long way because apparently it will be the tallest building in our city. They're going to nickname it the Gold Tower because of its outside facade. The amazing thing with the redwood trees is that their roots only go down five or six feet deep. Wow! But their roots spread out from each tree out 100 feet wide and they entangle together and they intertwine together under the surface with every other tree in the area. As a result, their interconnectedness, their intertwining, their intermeshing, their sharing of resources makes them be able to spread out wide and still go up high. Oh, I wish the a Market Church would be that. I wish my church would become that too. So intermeshed in our diversity and our mosaic nature, so intertwined, so entangled, sharing our grace, our gifts, our resources, our perspectives, our experiences all together, not fighting, not competing, but intertwining together, forming a network that spreads out into our community and is able to reach and embrace all that God has for us. Going as high as God, as far as God wants us to be. Reaching and helping people reach the Lord. Amen. Well, down on market, that's all I wanted to share with you. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, we've gone a little bit longer than I thought I would. But I do hope it, and sincerely hope it's helpful to you. Can I pray with you? Is that okay? So Father, I just thank you for all the congregation and all those who are yet to be a part of Downer Market. In fact, I pray for that entire town. That, Lord, you would pour out your spirit. That you would empower your people. That you would open their eyes to the opportunities that surround them. That they would once again not only love you, but love their neighbor as well. The litmus test of our faith, the litmus test of our discipleship, to love you and to love our neighbor, to know you and to make you known. Help us, Lord, not just to be gathered together like McKenna, but help us, Lord, also to be scattered like the early church into every sphere and every corner, 
every hedge, every byway of our society. Help us to be a door. Help us to be uh, communitas, a community that is, has a shared ordeal. Help d down a market church to embrace that, a, a, a cause to lay their life down for. Lord, I sense you're calling them. Uh, from this season, I pray they'll come out stronger, not just with a new property, with a renovation, but Lord, also with a new perspective. And even for some, with a new heart, a new passion, a new desire to walk with you and to do your will. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that, Lord, you would cause them to prosper in every way. That they would be in good health and prosper, even as and as their soul prospers. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. God bless you. It's been great to be with you again.